Welcome back, bass players and musicians of the world at large. It is episode six of the Better Bass Podcast. I'm Wyatt Walker Ware. Got a fresh topic today, got something we haven't really delved into on the podcast at all yet, and that is music theory. Why I think music theory is useful, how it can be a useful tool, and some myths and misconceptions around theory, and some places and some occasions where music theory loses its usefulness. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last 10 to 20 years, if you're a musician studying music and trying to learn music in the age of the internet, you probably know at least a little bit of theory. You probably at least know what the difference between a major chord and a minor chord is. That's music theory. You probably know how to construct these chords out of steps. You probably know your major and minor scales and maybe even some modes and things like this, and that's that's where you get into theory. But there's a misconception among Western musicians, particularly Western musicians who aren't educated in like European classical music, that theory and description of harmony are synonymous with one another. We say, okay, well, here's this C7 sharp 9 chord. Okay, well, there's downstep modulations going on. So this C7 of sharp 9, the C7 sharp 9 is functioning as a 5 chord to the F minor. It's a 5 of 2 to the F minor, actually, in the key of E flat. And then there's a B flat 7 flat 9 functioning as the 5 of the tonic E flat major. And we say, okay, that's your theory. That's, that's, that's what you need to know about music is how to describe chords and how uh, how functional harmony works and how chords resolve to one another and that's it that's a misconception theory is not restricted to harmony theory is definitely not restricted to functional harmony non-functional harmony exists the intro that i played is some uh some parallel chords whoo <laughs> some major chords moving in parallel to each other they're not functioning as anything. I don't really hear a particular tonic there, but there's a way to describe that using theory, I'm sure. At one point, I probably could have told you. At one point in my study of music, I was a huge theory head. I wanted to have a description for anything, and I wanted to be able to hear some set of notes played together, and then another set of notes played together, and then instantly be able to describe using my ears, oh, that's this kind of chord going to this kind of chord, and it's functioning this way within the key, or it's this particular kind of progression, this variety of voice leading, etc., etc. The deeper I dove into that, the deeper I went down the descriptive theory rabbit hole, the more I found that the reality of music, the reality of Western music anyways, is that We've got 12 notes, and we're just putting them in different orders. And what order you put them in has literally, not not literally infinite permutations, but think about how much music there is in the world. Practically infinite permutations. Beyond a certain point, describing things using harmony, describing things using words for harmony, okay, well, this is a C13 sharp 11 with no fifth, over G starts to lose its usefulness after a while. And the reality is that you can play any note against any combination of notes. And if you resolve it, 
or maybe even if you just execute it with confidence and with poise, it's going to sound good. I listen to certain soloists. Um, ben Monder, guitarist Ben Monder is a great example. Shane Ensley, trumpet player of Kneebody, is a great example. They are so melodic and they phrase so well that any note that they play over any chord, they can nail a flat nine over the top of a major chord. F over top of an E major triad, just like that, and sound beautiful. And it's the most beautiful music you've ever heard in your life. Theory is always going to have counterexamples like this, and that's why music theory is a tool. It is not a set of rules, it's not a set of regulations, it's not something to abide by, it's not a musical bible of any kind. I find that there's this dichotomy among a lot of students, particularly among a lot of jazz students, of, oh, you're either studying your theory and you know all your chord scales, you know all your Mixolydian sharp fours, and you know your altered scale, and you know your Dorian for your minor seventh chords, and all of this, or you are a quote-unquote just-feel-it-man kind of player, and you totally ignore the theory, and you play whatever you want, whenever you want, and that's it, and you don't know a word of it. Reality is that it is possible to know the rules and also break them, and there's a middle ground there's a space where real music is made and where genuine musical expression occurs. Where I use harmony, the theory of harmony, where I find that to me most useful is in the practice room when I'm constructing patternistic ideas that I want to get under my fingers and into my ears. When I play, let's say I'm playing some scale exercise. so on and so on. I know I'm playing a major scale in sixths, but the goal of this, the end goal, is not to just be able to play a major scale in sixths. The end goal is to train my ears and know what diatonic sixths to a major scale sound like, and know it so well, internalize it to a degree that I don't ever have to think about it anymore, and when I am on the bandstand, I'm not thinking oh, I just heard an A-flat major chord and I'm going to play a bunch of sixths now. No, that's, 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 that's not the way that it works. What does happen as you practice these ideas and you practice these concepts and start taking them through keys and creating rhythmic variations and things like this is that you internalize them and they become part of your musical vocabulary. They become part of the ideas that have connected themselves together in your brain and in your fingers and will eventually come out in your playing when the context is right and when they are useful. I think that when you're actually playing, when you are on the bandstand, thinking about, I'm going to play this scale now or I'm going to play this chord now, is very, very far removed from the creation of music. And for me, at least, if I'm thinking about anything like that on the stage, my ears start to close. And I lose the genuine self-expression element, and I end up with a, a lower quality performance that I'm less satisfied with as a result.
Now, where I find theory is very useful is in communicating with other musicians. All of this harmonic stuff, all of this chord naming and knowing your chord qualities and things is incredibly useful when, let's say, you're writing a piece of original music or you've transcribed a piece of somebody else's music and you're going to play it with some other musicians and you're handing them a chart. It's so much easier and it reads so much better to just write A7 flat 5 versus write another staff with a four-note voicing on it underneath and say interpret freely using these notes or whatever. There's a convention about this. There's a convention among Western popular musicians. I say that in the broadest term to encompass jazz music, folk music, rock, country, all of this, that we pretty much know what a chord symbol means. And when you put a chord symbol in front of us, we're going to interpret it in as best of a stylistically appropriate way as we can. And beyond the world of harmony... I mentioned there's there's theory of melody in the in the European classical tradition. I can't really speak to any of the concepts particularly. I'm not that familiar with them. I never studied that kind of music theory in a whole lot of depth. But which direction melodies go, which direction leaps go after you've been playing a scalar melody in a certain direction by, you know, by the common practice is a lot of deep music theory, and you can apply music theory to melody in other contexts. Let's say the, the beginning of the melody to Windows by Chick Corea. You can say that's an angular melody. That's using theory to describe music. You can say it's comprised of roots, thirds, sevenths, and ninths. Uh, the places that it's ascending and descending, you can describe all of this melodic stuff using theory. And if you've worked out a if you've worked out a transcription of a solo or something, or if you're just studying a piece of music in general, it can be useful to describe a certain melodic sequence using theory so that you can create variations on it. If I like a certain phrase that Chick Corea played in a solo that I learned, I can say, okay, well, it's it's this scale in this rhythmic grouping against this chord. So I can expand on it, I can develop it by playing that scale in that rhythmic grouping in more ways and creating more permutations of it. But again, that theory-based development is for the practice room. It's not for the stage. There's no use in practicing that kind of thing on the bandstand. There's no use in saying, oh, I've been shedding this today. I've been shedding this scale in this pattern. I've been shedding this rhythmic idea today. And I'm going to go on stage and I'm just going to force it in wherever I can. That's not going to work. That's not going to result in a quality performance that's not genuine musical expression. Speaking of rhythm, though... There is theory to do with rhythm, also. I mean, the, the very fact that the very idea of describing something as a quarter note or an eighth note or a triplet or a quarter note triplet, a drag triplet, whatever it happens to be, using all of these words is music theory. If I'm going to play uh, a, a su what's what's a super common one? I'm playing 4-4 four, four swing, 1, 2, 3, 4. And I'm going to metric modulate using dotted quarter notes.
I'm gonna, apparently I'm gonna really sloppily metrically modulate using dotted quarter notes. That's some theory, that's some music theory, and that's a really useful thing to have in your toolkit because it allows you to practice these concepts. It allows you to put on a metronome and say, okay, well, I'm going to feel the dotted quarter now. I'm going to put the metronome on the dotted quarter and I'm going to feel the quarter note. Or I'm going to put the metronome on the quarter note and I'm going to feel the dotted quarter and I'm going to practice that metric modulation. Or I'm going to practice some rhythmic grouping. Um, the drummer on my gig the other night started playing triplets in groups of five and it made me lose the form. So I asked him what he was doing. He said, oh yeah, it's triplets in groups of five. So then I can go home and shed it and... I can get it in my ears, get it to be part of the instinctual part of my my music and my musical expression, and then when it happens again, I'm not going to lose the form. It's just all about that communication. Theory is all about that communication, and it's all about developing musical relationships with musicians around you and developing relationships with the people who you want to make music with. Knowledge of theory is a common practice. It's, it's its own language. It's a convention, ultimately, that is defied by a lot of varieties of music and a lot of musicians within varieties of music. But it's a very, very, very convenient way for us to get information across to each other, and it's an incredibly useful tool for the practice room. And to answer the question... Should you study theory? Should I study theory? How much time should I dedicate to learning music theory? You should dedicate as much time to it as you feel like you need to. Music theory is a topic as as musicians in the again in the age of the internet where it's very very subject to this insane amount of information overload. There's so much there's thousands and thousands of hours, literal lifetimes worth of hours of music theory videos on YouTube. You know, you can go down this rabbit hole incredibly, incredibly far. And the reality is, falling into that rabbit hole is not productive as musicians. Learning tons and tons of theory just for the sake of learning tons of theory doesn't really have any merit to actual musical expression. It takes years and it takes thousands and thousands of hours to master a concept as simple as the major and minor triads. Triadic improvisation is not something that I have my head all the way around yet, and this is 5,000 hours into being a bass player, and this is 15,000 hours into being a musician. So when you learn theory... Think about studying in depth over studying in breadth. Think about what you can do with one concept, what you can do with one idea, how much you can expand that. See how much practice material you can create out of one scale. You'll be really, really surprised. I still find new things to do with the major scale every week, pretty much. The major scale is incredibly useful. I have not mastered it, and it's probably going to be a part of my practice routine forever. So I'll close on this. Learn theory so that you can forget theory. Learn theory so that you can expand your musical vocabulary and 
gain ideas that you wouldn't have thought of before and think about things in a musical way that you would not have thought about otherwise, then when you perform, forget about it all and allow yourself to express yourself and play what you hear. If something sounds good to you, if a certain kind of chord, a certain note sounds good to you and it violates some so-called rule of theory that you know about, play it anyways. That's self-expression. Practice it. That's self-expression. Be you. Do not allow the theory to dictate where you go with your music. If you've been enjoying the show, if you like what you hear, head on over to betterbass.substack.com. That is the home of the Better Bass podcast. That's the home of Better Bass content. That's where I'm hoping to get some really, really high-quality bass-related discussion going on. And I'd love it if you subscribe to the mailing list. Get every episode delivered straight to your inbox. You don't got to go searching around for it or nothing. And every subscription really helps me keep making this podcast. So come down to betterbase.substack.com. If you've got comments, questions, ideas for future episodes of the podcast, I would love to hear any and all of it. Let's all be better bass players together. I'll see you in the next episode.